0: Welcome to this exciting sermon from World Impact Community Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more sermons and resources, please do visit us at wscc.in. Good afternoon, everyone. It's a privilege to share God's word. Do you believe God is going to speak to you today? Yes, I believe too, because this is a word the Lord has put on my heart. It's burning in my heart. So I believe it is a word for our church. Let's start with a word of prayer. Hallelujah, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for this day. For this word that you're going to give us, thank you for this time. I just sensed uh, today, even as uh, Pastor Jijo was ministering, some uh, there was healings, things were changing, there was a shift in the atmosphere, and even during the worship, Lord. And I believe that you are here to speak to each one of us. Holy Spirit, prepare our hearts and enable us to go into the next season with this word, Father Lord. Our Father Lord, I believe this is a word from your heart, Lord, and I just pray that everyone. Here and all those watching online will receive this word today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So today the Lord has put on my heart the word, raising up the next generation. Yeah. One generation must tell the next generation about the ways of God. This is not just a request, it is a mandate. It is something that the Lord, even the Old Testament, in many situations, there was the, the Lord said, tell your generations, speak to the next generation. It was a commandment from the Lord. Now let's see, who is this commandment to? There are two groups of people that this responsibility falls on. And the first is the parents. This, today being Mother's Day, I guess uh, this word also comes in line with that. So the parents are the first to be responsible. In Genesis chapter 18, uh, we see how uh, the two angels and the Lord, they come to and visit Abraham and Sarah. And when they come to visit him and they're about to leave, they tell them, tell, tell him that the, he's going to have a, a child in the next year. And as they leave... Uh, the Lord suddenly thinks that, should I speak to Abraham some things? He's going to, he was planning to, atta- to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And he said, should I tell Abraham about this? And we read in Genesis chapter 18, verses 17 to 19. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since uh, Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to, to him. So here the Lord is saying, I have Known him. For what? So that he would order his children to obey my commands. And when he does that, I will fulfill the purposes that I have for him. So the Lord had great plans for Abraham that he would be the father of the nation. But he said that when he commands his children in my ways, I will fulfill those plans. In the same way, I'm telling each one of you, when you command your children in the ways of the Lord, then he will be able to fulfill every plan that he has over you. And there's another verse in Deuteronomy 29. In Deuteronomy 29, the Lord is speaking to Israel, and the Lord says, I want you to make a covenant with me. And this covenant is that you will stand, you will be my nation, you will be my people, and you will not turn away from me, but you will follow me with your whole heart. And then he says that if you do follow me, I will bless you. But if you don't, I will judge you. And he says that covenant, and in verse 29, he goes on to say, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. There are some things that are secret that we won't understand until we go there. But the thing is, we always want to know only the secrets. But the Lord is saying, there are revealed things. And that's very clearly written in the word of God, the way you should live. And these revealed things are for you and for your generations. So it's as parents, we need to understand what the word of the Lord says and tell our children and bring them up in that way. So first responsibility of raising up the next generation is to the parents here. And the next is to every believer. Psalms 145 verse 4 says, One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. This is not talking just about some parents. Like all of us are supposed to declare the acts of the Lord to the younger ones. And then, you know, that is a commandment to us. So just tell the Lord, it's my responsibility. Just tell the Lord, it's my responsibility to raise up the next generation. Come on, let me hear you. Tell the Lord. It's my responsibility to, yes, truly, for each one of us. And in Psalm 78, from verses 1 to 6, it says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known. And our fathers have told us. This is the fathers who were brought out from Egypt We will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children. This is talking about five generations, I counted, from the fathers to the next to the next to the next to those children who are not born. So five generations, the Lord is telling him, tell them about who I am, declare to them. They, you know, they were never supposed to lose sight of what God, who God was and what God had done for them. That was the way it was in those times. And and what was the purpose of God asking them to remind the generations? In the next verses, we read that. In verses 7 and 8, it says, That they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and may not be like their fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation a generation that did not set its heart aright and whose spirit was not faithful to god so there are six things here six purposes for us to be telling our generations one that our children would set their hope on god secondly that they would not forget god's works thirdly that they would obey his commandments Fourthly, that they would not be a stubborn and rebellious generation and that their hearts will be set aright. And finally, that we, they would be faithful. And this is the purpose why we need to teach the generations. If we don't teach the generations, they will walk away. They will go into the world. The world teaches the children young. In a very young age, everyone, they teach them worldly things. And even even our families, sometimes we teach them from very young. But it's that age where we need to be teaching them the truth of God. We need to, if the world is aggressive in taking our children away and teaching them the things of the world, how much more we need to bring them in and teach them His word. It is so important and i was looking in the bible of examples of people who had blessed the generations and i saw that in the life of joshua he was a man who had people over him and he followed their their path and he fulfilled god's call on him so i'm going to look we can look together into his life and how some a previous generation blessed him so who were his influences first of all in first chronicles chapter 7 verse 26 and 27 it says Laden his son amihud his son elishama his son nun his son and joshua his son and here we see elishama is uh, joshua's grandfather okay and elishama was the leader the captain of the children of ephraim so he was in two or three instances, they write like Elishama, the leader of Ephraim. So he is the grandson of the person who's chosen to lead his tribe. So just imagine, now he sees his grandfather always being one of the chosen people, and he's he's grown up seeing that. And I just what a heritage he had. Yeah, that's the first influence. And second, we know that Moses poured into his life. Moses Moses had a major role in his life. Moses trained Joshua. As he was going around the desert, round and round the desert. But what did he train him for? Not to go round and round the desert, but he trained him for a place he had never been to, with strategies he had never applied, to face people he had never met, to live in a land that he had only dreamt of. Just imagine the responsibility that Moses had because he's never seen what is a cross. All Moses has seen is the desert. But he knows God has given his, him a mandate to train up Joshua for a new season. Yeah, truly, that is the call. that was the call on Moses. So I was looking where all the instances where Joshua and Moses are together. And I took some of those instances and I'm going to show you what Moses did in Joshua's life. The first instance where Joshua is mentioned is in Exodus 17. So in Exodus 17, uh, God has taken out the Israelites from Egypt. <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, He's taken them out, and He decides not to take them <clears throat> through the land of the Philistines, but to uh, to go in a longer route. Why? Because if they go through the land of the Philistines, they'd be scared of war and they'd just rush back. So the Lord said, I'm going to take them through a longer route. And as he's taking them through a longer route, they come come to the valley of uh, Rephidim, the wilderness at Rephidim. And there, the Amalekites, they attack from behind. This is not plan, the plan of God. This is totally unexpected, where the enemy comes and attacks from behind. And suddenly, it's just two months into the journey. I was looking into the previous chapter. It's just two months. So they're just fresh out of Egypt. And just two months later. And the Lord says, <clears throat> and Moses says in verse 9, Moses said to Joshua, Choose some men and go out. Fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So... Moses is telling Joshua, go and choose some people and go ahead. And Joshua would think, me? What do I do? I have never fought. But Joshua obeys the command and then he goes in front for the battle while Moses goes up the hill, the mountain along with Aaron and Hur. And they stand there. He lifts up the rod. And as long as the rod is raised up, they're winning the battle. But as soon as he's tired, they're losing. We all know the story. And uh, after some time, Aaron and Hur make him sit on the stone, and they lift up his hands till sunset, till they win the battle. And uh, then, after that, God tells him, or oh, in verse 14, then the Lord said to Moses, "Write this for a memorial in the book, and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven." Yeah. So he said, write it, because there is a work that has started amongst the Amalekites, but it's not complete. And Joshua has to remember, there is going to be a time when I'm going to wipe them out. So he should know that that is my purpose. And so you see in this battle, one generation is not fighting alone. It is two, three, two generations or three generations who are together, standing together. They could only win this battle if they stood together. If you see how geese fly, they form a V. We shape and fly, and they say that the geese fly faster, around 70 uh, percent faster than if they flew alone. And I was just looking at the studies. Why is that? And they say that if, uh, when, they, when a when a particular geese is flying and there's one directly behind, as it's flying, there is a downdraft just behind. So if they're directly behind, they have to fight against that wind. But if they're along the wings, just behind the wings, there is an updraft, updrift, and because of that, that updrift helps it helps the, ge- the geese behind to you know to fly easily. So that's why they're in a V, and because of that, they can cross long distances. They're working together, and the geese that is in front. After sometimes, sometime gets tired, and what does it do? It goes to the back, and automatically the next one goes in front. Such a, a work of unity together, and the Lord is telling us for this end-time harvest, one generation is not enough. It's going to be all of us together. Will we go as? Are we going to work singly, or are we going to work together with the rest of the generations? If we do, we will accomplish so much more than we do it alone. So that's the first thing that Moses taught Joshua that we'll have to work together. And the second thing, uh in Exodus chapter 32, um we see where uh Moses goes to Mount Sinai, Sinai on the top of Mount Sinai he's there for 40 days and 40 nights and he receives the commandments uh and at that time we know that the people down down uh, below they are they've decided to uh make uh, uh, an idol uh, a calf of gold and worship it. And the Lord speaks to Moses and says, the people are doing this. They've turned away from me. They're doing so much wrong. And Moses is aware of it. And as they come down the mountain, Joshua is with him. They come down in verse 17 and 18, it says, and when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. Joshua has only heard the sound of war. He doesn't know any other sound. So he's saying, he's just, you know, fresh from the battle with the Amalekites. So he's saying, that's the sound of war. But then Moses says to him, it is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. So Moses knew what it was Joshua wasn't. And when they come down, they see that sound of singing and he totally knew. So Moses was teaching Joshua. Things are not the way you, you perceive them. You need to discern. You need to ask the Lord. So he, he was teaching that, uh, you know, this sound may, this may sound familiar, but there's something underneath. And Joshua learned discernment from Moses. Yeah. And then in chapter 33, Exodus chapter 33, so the people have come down, I mean, they've come down and the people have disappointed the Lord, and uh, the Lord is really angry with the people, and he says, I'm not going to go with you, you go by yourself, and Moses is interceding, Lord, forgive them, please, you go before us, and Moses doesn't give up, on the. and he says, he keeps on interceding for them, and then he, sa- he goes to the tabernacle. Every now and then he's going to the tabernacle in the presence of the Lord, seeking his face and asking the Lord, come with us, come with us, Lord. In Verse 9 to 10 it says, And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose and worshipped, each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. What a scene. You have the leader sitting in the presence of God. And you see the presence of God coming on him. And because of that, you don't want to leave the presence of God. That was the example that Moses set. And Joshua didn't want to leave the presence of God. And I've heard of so many people sharing that. When I was a young child, uh, my grandfather or my grandmother used to just put the mat and pray and worship. And I can never forget that. I've heard testimonies of that. So if you are someone who is prayerful... Uh, who is prayerful, who is praying for your generations, the children will see it and they'll be attracted to that encounter. I know um, uh, Colonel Matthew's mother, that auntie, she's such a prayerful mother and I've seen how she prays for the generation. I'm so blessed when I first met her, she was saying that I'm praying for them, I'm praying for this, I'm praying for them. And I was thinking, Lord, what a blessed family to have a praying grandmother. Awesome. So we need to, you know, we need to show the children that they can encounter God. You know, True transforming faith requires every generation to have a fresh experience of god 's mighty presence it 's not enough that you have that experience every generation. so we just uh, finished our vBS uh, day for yesterday. We had five wonderful days where the Holy Spirit came and touched our children. It was so beautiful in the presence of the Holy Spirit. some of them didn 't know whether to cry, whether t- you know to sit or to shout or to sing. We saw God moving. They have been touched by the presence of God. We need to create situations where our children encounter God. And so that's what Moses did. And the next we see in Numbers chapter 11, Moses was burdened by leading that 600,000 men and they were always complaining. So he goes to the Lord and says, had it. It's enough. I can't take them another day. And the Lord says, okay, go and choose 70 leaders, 70 people who you know are responsible. Bring them to the tabernacle and I will take the anointing that is on you and put it on them. And so Moses calls out, chooses 70 people and brings them to the tabernacle. And in verse 25, Numbers 11:25, it says, then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took off the spirit that was upon him and placed the same upon the seventy elders. And it happened when the spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did it again. So there was a sure sign of God touching them. They prophesied. And at the same time, there were two people who were in the camp eldad and medad and they were supposed to come to the tabernacle but they weren't there but still God touched them so in the camp they started prophesying and one young man ran from the camp from the camp and came out came to moses and said there are two men eldad and medad they are prophesying and just see what how joshua responds in verse 28 and 29 so joshua the son of nun moses assistant one of his choice men answered and said Moses, my Lord, forbid them. Then Moses said to him, Are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. So Moses was teaching him, Listen, this is not about me. This is about the next level of leadership. So truly, yeah, he taught them a kingdom mindset so many times. People want to, you know, get the praise and everything that when now it's a time where we need to raise up another set of leaders who will not bother about fame or anything, but that we're part of the army. Yeah. So we need to give them that kingdom mentality. And I believe that in the coming season also, before we used to hear great men of God, you know, names of having mighty crusades. Now we're entering a season where it's not about names. It's just going to be the glory of the Lord coming into every situation, touching the generations. Yeah. So he taught them kingdom mindset. And the next in Numbers chapter 12. We see that Miriam and Aaron, they rise up against Moses. They're not happy with the leadership. They are thinking because they are elder brother and elder sister. They think that who is this fellow? Why is he the boss? Uh, yeah, he's even married a Kushite woman. How can he be the boss? And they start discussing them. And Moses doesn't defend himself. But instead God says, God is angry. And God says, bring Miriam and Aaron and you come to the tabernacle. And I will speak to you. And there the presence of the Lord comes and the Lord says, what does he say? I speak to Moses face to face. He is faithful in the house. How dare you question his leadership? How dare you question his leadership? And immediately Miriam became leprous. And Aaron was scared. Oh God, what's going to happen to me next? Like, you know, and, uh, but then, uh, he asked Moses, please, please stop this, stop this. And, uh, uh, Miriam says, I mean, Moses, uh, intercedes and says, Lord, heal her. See, he look at his attitude in a situation of opposition. Most of us would have been irritated. God made me the leader. I have this authority, but he didn't defend himself, but he said, no, he let the Lord defend him. And he was not at all angry with them. He said he prayed for them. That was his heart, the heart in the case of opposition. There's a man of God called uh, Bill Bright, who is the founder of Campus Crusade. His son, Brad Bright, gives a testimony about his father. So he said, my father used to love to be known as a slave of Christ by choice. That's his memory of the father. So that is what the generations are receiving. And he gave a a story where when he was 10 years of age, his uh, father had gone on a a trip to Asia for the mission work, and he came back after six weeks. And when he came back, all the leaders, quite a few of the leaders of the organization, they spoke to him and said, "Uh, we want you to resign. Uh, Now we're going to choose a new leadership. Just imagine, he was the one who founded that organization. And Bill Bright did not respond in anger. He didn't defend himself. All he said is, let's kneel down and pray and ask what the Lord's will is. Incredible. And he knelt down and they prayed. 20 years later, one of those men spoke to Brad Bright and said, that day when we, because he was one of the opposite parties, but when we confronted your father, he and he said, let's kneel down. We knew that we had lost. And he had won. What an example, what an example. In the face of opposition, we need to teach our children how to stand. The Lord will defend them. They don't have to fight their way through. So that is what Moses did. So here I was and then finally he said, kept the Moses kept him focused on the vision. Yeah? In Deuteronomy chapter three, verse twenty-eight, it says. But command Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him for he shall go over before this people and he shall cause them to inherit the land which you will see. So Moses very badly wanted to enter the promised land. But the Lord said, no, it's not for you. It's for the next generation. But then, okay, he said, okay, at least he's going. But the Lord gave him the duty. Keep on telling him, you can do it. You can do it because Joshua would have thought, I can't do it alone. I can't do it alone. But Moses kept on telling him, you can do it. Go ahead. Be strong. Be courageous. Fulfill God's vision. So he kept on envisioning him. So as a leader, as we saw, what all did Moses do? He 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 partnered with the vision that God had. He didn't let the next generation do it alone. You know, sometimes one generation cannot understand the ways of the next generation, and they say that we do it this way, they do it that way. But now we cannot afford to do that. We need to be inclusive and be able to bring the next generation in, in our way. I know you see if you look behind, you see in our media team, we have a lot of the next generation. I just enjoy seeing them. They're serving at this young age. They're partnering with the vision. Even for VBS, many of our staff are volunteers who are young teenagers. Yeah. Soon after they finish VBS, the next thing is they have to serve. So we need to partner with them. The next thing is that we need to have an encounter with the Lord. We need to teach our children to have an encounter. We need to give them a kingdom mindset. We need to help them to learn how to stand in times of opposition. And so we can learn how Moses was such a good leader. And because of that, Joshua never went wrong. Joshua, all the days of his life, fulfilled the plans of God. Yeah, so he was that worked really well. So we have such a good example through Moses and Joshua. And now, what do we do? How are we going to prepare the next generation? God is asking us to prepare the bride of Christ. Jesus is returning soon. And the Lord is saying, Will you prepare the next generation for the end time harvest? In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is asked by the disciples, How will we know when you're going to return? And Jesus tells them, people will start saying that I am he, I am the Christ. That will be one thing. People, there will be false prophets, there will be persecution, there will be pestilence, there will be famines, there will be war and rumors of war. And then you will know that it's the time. Look around us for the last two or three years. Just everything has changed. The way we think. Our children are going through a completely different way of life. Isn't that enough sign to know that these are those times that Jesus is talking about? And he said that this, these are the beginning of sorrows. We are truly in that time. The beginning of sorrows. We can't tell them it was like this before. Because they haven't seen that time. Some kids were born in this time and so we need to prepare them for this time not for a previous time we need to tell them that this is this is a different season this is the season that jesus talked about and in verse 13 and 14 it says but he who endures to the end shall be saved and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations and the and then the end will come so what is jesus saying that these are the signs. So we've seen the signs, but what do you do? You have to endure till the end. This is what we have to teach our generation. You have to endure till the end. Stand strong. And then you should say the gospel has to be preached. Even this month, as we are, you know, as a church, we are celebrating as the go month and we have. We are intentionally going out and sharing the gospel. Even our children need to know that. This is a time where we are going to share the gospel. And only after that, the Lord will come back. And even in that chapter, we see how the Lord says, look at the fig tree when it bears fruit. You know the times. Teach your children to understand the season. Tell we have to teach our generation to see the season that we have entered into. It's not like before. We have to be alert. Yeah. And uh, I was reading about a group of people in an organization that invests a lot in the next generation. And they were saying that when the tsunami came over uh, previously and they helped in countries where there was tsunami, they took youngsters and they taught them how to, you know, how to help there and share the gospel. And so the next time when they had a problem in the states of flooding there, these people just immediately went there. They were ready. They were ready for, so I think that our generation, next generation needs to be prepared for any type of disaster. We can't be quiet as a church and say, okay, it's like this, it's COVID, let's stay at home. We need to be ready for the next thing that is going to come against us, to be a church that is seen to be the light. Yeah. So we need to prepare our generation. And it's only when you teach them that they'll be ready for that. Teach them that there, there will be persecution. We don't know what's ahead of us. There will be persecution. You can't hide them. You can't say everything's going to be all right. You're going to get a good job. You're going to have a happy family. That's the end. No, we have to teach them about the days to come. There will be difficulties. So we need to prepare our generation for that. Then we need to disproportionately invest in the lives of the younger generation. Recent studies show that 70% of the people who receive Jesus as their savior are in the 4 to 14 window, that is between 4 and 14 years old. And more in this group keep the faith in the long run. So that's how important it is for us to reach out to this age group. Uh, Another study was done by the Uncommon Individual Foundation, an organization devoted to mentoring, research, and training. Reports that mentoring is the third most powerful relationship for influencing human behavior after marriage and the extended family. Yeah, so that's so important. It may may not be your children. It may be your, your neighbor's kids whom you are mentoring. I was just sharing in the Malayalam service how around 15 years back, um, I had a dream where I saw uh, there was a well. It was like a bore well, not a big well. And there were youngsters in it. And I was standing on the on the ground. And they couldn't get out. And I just pulled them out. Pulled them in. and I woke up seeing this dream. And I was asking the Lord. It was very clear. And I said, Lord, what does that mean? Do I have to do something for the youth? They couldn't help themselves. And just shortly around uh, a week after that, the opposite house, uh, two young girls came. Their their parents were going through uh, a separation, so they had come to stay with their grandmother. And when I saw them, I said, "Something in me," the Lord said, "Help them." help them. So then I decided, how can I help them? And at that time, another auntie came home for a prayer. And she had started a, a Bible study in her home for the kids, uh, kids in her colony. I said, this is what I want to do. And so I opened my home for these children. For My kids also learned with that. Very smart, no? I taught my kids and those kids and Dr. Suja's kids for about three, four years. The word of God. Every Friday, i learn songs, sing them, and i teach them. So I didn't know anything that time. But I learned and then I taught them. What can you do? You don't have to teach. You can just be an example of love. Whether children or your neighbor's kids or anyone comes, you can make them some nice cookies and just pray over the cookies and give it to them. That will bless them. These children remember those things. So uh, even as coming into ministry, I was asking the Lord, the Lord put up my heart, help the youth ministry. And I was saying, Lord, I'm way beyond that. What do the youth have? You know, what do I have in common with the youth? But the Lord says, you were saved when you were 17. Remember that and painted so that's why I actually I my heart is for the youth ministry I I rejoice when I see their salvations I rejoice when something happens amongst them so the Lord has put that on my heart and even actually uh, just two years back I saw another dream and in that dream I was I, I was at a railway station and there was a young man and he was he fell and he fell and he collapsed I was like, so it looked at as if he was dead. And I just came close and I said, what do I, do I do? And I just started reviving him. I revived him. And then he woke up and he got up. And I just knew, Lord, what are you telling me? Pray for revival amongst the youth. And that word is over us as a church. Pray for revival over the youth. And from that time, I decided, yes, I'm going to pray. And I went on a long fast, taking this word. Lord, you've given me this word. I'm going to pray for the youth. So do what you can. You don't, yeah, you can just pray. Prayer is so powerful. You can pray. Then the next thing is lead them to the word of God. Lead them to the word of God. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up, that word is kanak. And kanak means to dedicate. Like when you dedicate a house. So the Lord is telling us to dedicate our children to him. You know, I've heard so many parents praying, Lord, we, we give him to you, but give him, take him to this place. Do this for him, do that for him. We control Even in our prayers. But the Lord is saying, dedicate your child to me. When Hannah dedicated Samuel, Samuel fulfilled everything that Hannah said. Yeah? So we need to dedicate that child. And that word in Arabic is a word that means to rub the palate of a newborn with oil. So they do that as a practice before the kids start sucking. Because uh, it helps them get that stimulus of sucking. So just imagine that word, train. You give them a taste of the things of God, and then they will go that way. Yeah? You give them a taste of the word of God, then they will go that way. We have to show them, then only they will go in that way. So we need to lead them to the word of God. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9. This is called the Shama. It is a, a, a part of scripture that the Israelites pray every day it must be familiar. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You need to speak about it in your homes. You need to bring the kids. Why are you strict with them? Because this is the way the Lord wants to lead you. Why are you telling him this? This is what the Word says. In your homes, bring them back to the Word. And finally, teach them to depend on the Holy Spirit. To hear His voice in every situation. You're not going to be available for your children or your, your spiritual children always. But they need to hear the Holy Spirit. I remember my son, when he was in 11th, uh, he took Matt's computer. And I was just asking, what do you want? He wasn't sure. One thing both of my kids says, we don't want medicine. Very clear about that. But we want anything else. So I said, okay, uh, what is it? You just pray about it. I told him, you pray about it and ask the Lord. And he seriously took that word and he started praying about it. And after about uh, towards the end of 11th, he said, Amma, I want to take physics. And, uh, yeah, you sure? You don't want to go for engineering or anything? He said, no, I don't want to. Even though he got admission for engineering, he said, no, I'm very clear. This is what the Lord wants uh, me to do. So he decided to take physics. And even as he was, uh, you know, getting his admission, so he got, uh, I was praying, Lord, give him admission in South India, please. But the Lord had other plans. And he sensed, he told me one day, Amma, I feel I'm, I'm going to get admission in Karakpur. I said, Money, Banda, don't, you know, let's be closer, you know, that'll be better. But he said, no, Ma, I feel that. So I just said, okay. Then I started praying, no, wherever you want, Lord, take him. And then he got admission in Karakpur itself and he studied there. So every, you know, from that time I've seen him, you know, being led by the Holy Spirit. So now I respect what he says because he knows he's heard. It's not me. So even if I haven't heard, I can trust him okay you've heard yeah fine even about his marriage uh, when a proposal, when something when a proposal came he prayed about it and he was said amma this is for me so i i said if he's heard the holy spirit before he can take this decision too so that is okay so you need to train them and come to that point where you will know that they can stand and hear the holy spirit let us train our children yeah You know, when we come in for marriages and dedications, uh, usually the pastor asks, all of you who are here, will you pray for the child or will you pray for this married couple? And all of us say yes. And then we go back and forget. But the Lord is saying, let that change from today. Will you pray for other children? when they're dedicated? Will you make it a point in your heart to pray for the pastor's children that they walk in God's ways? Will you pray for those married couples that they will fulfill God's plan through marriage? Let's do it as a church. I encourage each one of you that you will take that responsibility. I'm sure every one of us can raise up the next generation as a church the lord has put it on pastor's heart that we're going to raise up an elisha generation let us be intentional and let us raise up that that elisha generation so i let's i just uh, challenge you if any of you the lord has spoken to you and you know you want to help the next generation some way i'd like you to rise up to your feet and i will we'll will pray together hallelujah Lord, I just thank you for you have spoken. It is not anyone else. This is your word, the word that you have put on my heart the word that is on your heart and I just pray for all those who have risen up and all those who are watching who have agreed to raise up the next generation Lord you see their hearts they want they probably say what can I do but it's just a smile from them that will make the difference it's just probably a cup of coffee or a cookie something that they make for them that is going to make the difference I pray Lord you will give us strategies and ways to open our homes and open our lives for the next generation. Abba Father, Lord, this word is from you, Lord. And I believe that we are going to raise up as a church another reg- uh, generation, that we will not be a hindrance for them. We will not judge them, that we, but we will walk with them and we will say go, run, run before us, run before us. We are behind you. Abba Father, let us be a church like that where spiritual fathers and mothers rise up and they are so worried and prayerful about their spiritual children. Let this be the season for that. Lord, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done today. Thank you, Lord, because you are going to do something great. And it's not by chance that these people are hearing this word today. But you are going to do something great, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons, please do visit us at wsc.in.